Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 87th episode, and I'm here after three days of testing, the launch of season six of Drive to Survive, and of course, ahead of the 2024 season opener in Bahrain. On this episode, I'll quickly break down some storylines from testing and give my thoughts on what the pecking order could look like and whether I'd already changed some of my pre-testing predictions. Then I'll also talk about the new season of everyone's favorite Formula One show on Netflix, of course, Drive to Survive, and then we'll preview the Bahrain Grand Prix. But before we get to today's episode, first, a quick reminder to check out the link tree in the description. It has links to all the platforms where you can find this podcast and the ways you can contact me. Now, let's start with what happened over three days of testing in the desert. Preseason testing. Not always the most glamorous part of Formula One, but for the hardcore fans, a pretty exciting time of the year. We get to see all the brand new cars on track, a first look at what might be the pecking order for the season, and that is a lot of what I'm going to get into today, starting off with who I think is probably going to be at the top of that pecking order, the most competitive car on the grid. I'm sorry to tell you guys, but once again, it's looking like it's the Red Bull. They made a ton of noise with their launch, of course, putting Christian Horner front and center is a big part of that as well in the midst of his ongoing investigation still no really new update on that front by the way but of course also the aggressive bodywork on the rb20 was on display in bahrain for everyone to see i thought the coverage that f1 did of preseason testing was pretty great i watched a lot of it i watched it when i could to watch eight hours a day though is a little bit unrealistic but i i watched as much as it as much of it as I possibly could. As I said, though, considering the Milton Keynes-based team had the most dominant season possibly ever, making such a visual change, uh, as I said last episode, uh, could bring along quite a few risks. But was there ever really a debt with this team? I mean, it's Adrian Newey, guys. Come on. This, we're, it's, if it's Adrian Newey we're talking about, you know he's not going to misstep. He's going to dominate the aerodynamic side of Formula One once again, as he has pretty much his entire illustrious career, probably going on over 30 years now in Formula One. Just an incredible, incredible designer. I have his book. I've been reading it. I think it's actually on the shelf behind me for YouTube watchers. Um, but anyway, enough glazing Adrian Newey. Red Bull looks to have not only missed a beat, but they have moved the game on considerably. It's it's incredible what this team is doing. I mean, after day one, Max Verstappen looked like he was going to dominate the sport by a whole another level. I mean, 143 laps on the board, and he went 1.14 seconds faster than the second fastest time of Lando Norris. Sheesh. What a day for the reigning champion in day one of testing. The car, it looks reliable and fast. Verstappen is already saying it's doing everything he wants it to do. Great. It is just incredible, though. I I will say this about all F1 teams. How well they can just set up a car, get right on top of it, and not have any mistakes after one shakedown, like in terms of reliability. A few gremlins across the grid, but 
Not really. I mean, Perez, when he went in the car on day two, it didn't look quite as handy and he had a couple issues, but everything was so minor this year. And even in recent memory, there's always been at least, you know, a couple engine fires or something that goes horribly wrong. I mean, McLaren had like no brakes in the Bahrain test a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, like Red Bull was completely on it apart from the minor issues that plagued Checo on day two. But even with that considered, he still had like more laps than anyone that day. Of course, some people split, so I'm not sure he had the most laps out of like Red Bull had the most laps of any team, but out of any driver, he still had the most laps that day because, um, I mean, yeah, he didn't split it with Max, but a couple other drivers also had the full day to themselves and he still had more laps than them. So Red Bull is is flying along at the minute. I do think it was interesting, though, that Checo's lap, although he wasn't at the top of the timings like Max was after day one, Checo's lap actually faster. I mean, Red Bull did not do any low fuel runs with Max, clearly, and then they do their low fuel runs with Checo. Pretty smart way to sandbag, if you ask me. The overall scariest piece of information I got from from the Red Bull three days of testing is definitely from Max Verstappen's race sim. His lap times were not only fast, but I mean, he, he pretty much had just as fast of a lap time at the beginning of his stint as he did at the end, virtually showing no tire degradation across an entire race sim. That's so ominous. I mean, Red Bull already seemed to have no tire day last year. And this might be a whole new game. And Bahrain is an abrasive, rough circuit that it's tough on tires. And Max Verstappen handled it like it was nothing. It was it was incredible. Um, I know that's my favorite word to use about this Red Bull. But really, I have no other words. Again, I, I'm going to run out of words again, guys. I just realized that. I, I ran out of superlatives for Max Verstappen last year. So I didn't talk about him as much as I did probably at the beginning of the season. Because I was like, I just don't know how else to describe what this team and what he is doing and what they're doing together. It's honestly, it's insane. (laughs) Another word that uh, I will now have to uh, throw in the vault and not use because they they run out pretty pretty quickly. Um, But yeah, Red Bull themselves um, think it's about, well, the mouthpiece that is Helmet Marco, at least, thinks that it's about a two-tenth gap to the field. However, the talk around the paddock is that Red Bull has an advantage of at least five-tenths. Mercedes thinking it's even larger. Um, that's pretty huge. I think the reality of it is it might be five-tenths with Checo, a second with Max. We'll see. But I'm not sure that it is going to be that big. The question is, though, who is that gap going to be to? Or in other words, who is going to be second fastest this year? It was a pretty big battle at the beginning or throughout all of last year, I should say. Um, Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren, Aston Martin. It's it's pretty mysterious who this is going to be this year as well. However, Fernando Alonso thinks that Max Verstappen is going to be the world champion. And 18 other drivers know that he's going to be the world champion. So I was kind of thinking... Who's the other driver? Does Max not know or does Checo not know? I I actually, I assume he meant Max, but if not, that's a bit of a dig at Checo too. And for him not to know that Max is going to be the world driver's championship. Um, I don't know. Anyway, 
Who will be second? Let's let's move on to that. Going into the season, it seemed like a battle between Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, Aston Martin, as I said earlier. Um, Aston Martin, probably more of an outside shot. The other three teams maybe being considered a little bit more seriously, as reflected in my predictions last week, having Aston Martin in fifth. Um, if you read into testing a lot, then surely you're going to go with Ferrari. Carlos Sainz set the fastest time of the test on day two with a 129.9. Not only that, some reports suggest Ferrari has sorted out their tire egg and wind sensitivity issues to a certain degree, which were both big targets set for the team. And it was the day two race sim that is perhaps the more intriguing find, though, as comparing signs with Perez, signs would have beaten Perez by a full minute, a full minute, using their average times across the three compounds, um, the three compounds that will be used this weekend in Bahrain as well. That's mega. However, do you really believe that Ferrari is actually one second quicker than even Perez in the Red Bull? Probably not. So take this with a grain of salt because it is Perez. It's not Verstappen. And you also never know the full picture in testing with how much fuel is in the car, how much the driver is pushing, and whether the team has their engine turned down. There's a lot of factors, but still... Just showing that amount of pace over Checo's race sim is pretty impressive from signs. So, yeah, um, no other word really apart from impressive to describe Ferrari's test. It was uh, a pretty optimistic one from the drivers and the team as well. Um, So, as a fan, and I guess all the fans should uh, put their hope in Ferrari that they can make this year interesting or at least the beginning part of the year somewhat interesting because beyond that, I'm not so sure. It's a little bit more dicey with the likes of Mercedes, McLaren, and Aston. We'll start with Mercedes. Their unique front wing, just to start off and get this part out of the way, has been declared legal, but the regulations could change. It's not for sure that it's going to be able to stay. Um, You know, they could make it illegal, the FIA, if they believe it's not in the spirit of the regulations. But for now, it is legal, so it'll probably be on the car in Bahrain. More interestingly, though, however, Mercedes easily provided the least amount of data uh, um, from these from the test of these five top teams. Um, they didn't even do a race sim, so it's hard to uh, compare some of the data when Mercedes didn't really offer that. Not to mention, they don't really like Mercedes likes to sandbag. They seem to always turn their engine down. They did complete a lot of laps, but when you don't do a race sim, it's not really, it's not really comparable. Uh, instead, Mercedes opted to sort of tweak setups and sort of try to refine the car instead of um, see how they would do over a race stint. Just kind of see uh, the setup windows that work in the car, which I think is a clever approach. But however, you are so you also are behind the other teams in terms of really knowing. Um, how the tires work, I would say, when they're not doing full race stints. So that's something they'll probably definitely have to focus on um, during free practice in Bahrain. So we'll see. Um, I've probably seen the most variety of different conclusions drawn about Mercedes, though, just from the talking heads and and the people analyzing uh, the Mercedes data. And it's pretty much like anywhere from sixth to second, Um, I've seen some people put RB ahead of Mercedes on pure pace, which is wild. 
And then I've seen some people believe that Mercedes is super sandbagging and they're going to be right up there and, and they're really optimistic about what they have. I'm allowing myself to be a little bit closer to the optimism end. Um, as I said, Mercedes seems to always sandbag a bit. So seeing their times, apart from George Russell's you know, soft tire time on, on day three, their times were not encouraging at all. Um, but I don't know. If the drivers are saying that the car feels a lot better, and they were, both George and Arn Lewis said this was a step forward in terms of the feel, and they've gotten rid of their... Uh, a spiteful rear end is what they call it, which is kind of hilarious. Um, but yeah, I don't think those guys would lie about how the car is feeling because pretty much every opportunity Mercedes has to say their own car stinks. They like to do that for some reason. Um, but yeah, no obvious red flags from the test for Mercedes. Um, some people analyzing or that were in Bahrain, I guess I should say, watching the cars said that Mercedes didn't necessarily wow them, but it didn't make you know, obvious errors, as I, as I just said, uh, the Ferrari and the Red Bull were more of the wow. Um, but I I think this is all about nailing the base platform for Mercedes and then, uh, catching up throughout the season with developments and hopefully being somewhat close in 2025. I think that's ultimately what the goal had to be overhauling the car this year to completely overhaul and then be quicker than Red Bull was a pipe dream. So, Yeah, I think if they're close, they'll be pleased. And then just hopefully, you know, what they're seeing in the simulator is matching with what they have on track, which according to James Allison, that is happening. So it should be much easier to develop from here. That's the hope. What I would expect this weekend, not not top two, but I think they might be closer to Ferrari than people expect. Um, And Ferrari still a bit off of Red Bull. As for McLaren, let's move on to them. I know I like to talk about Mercedes a lot, but I got my McLaren gear on. I must be optimistic about them, right? Not not really. Um, and of course, for audio listeners, that's not great uh, podcasting right there, but I do have McLaren stuff on, I promise. Um, yeah, McLaren is talking a big game about catching Red Bull. Now, not so much. They do like to play down their expectations, but I think themselves are even a little bit disappointed. Um, yeah, I just think they were hoping to make more inroads on making the car more drivable and improving the slow speed performance, where I'm not sure they've done as much as they thought they may have. Uh, the car also seemed to have some gremlins. I don't think McLaren completed a lot of laps. They actually may have even been the fewest of all the 10 teams. Um, Oscar Piastri's race sim had some disastrous looking tire dag, uh, which is a little bit scary. It's not necessarily going to roll over into this weekend and the rest of the year. You know, that could be ironed out with a with a setup tweak or, or something along those lines. But it's definitely not good news. It's just maybe not bad news. Uh, I think the McLaren still, like, it's got a lot of the characteristics it had last year. So at a lot of tracks, they're still going to be very competitive. But like Mercedes, I think they're going to need a lot of development throughout the season to be more well-rounded and and sort out those issues with the slow speed, the traction, and their the weird driver tendency or whatever you want to call it um, that guys like Lando and, and Carlos Sainz when he drove for McLaren and Ricardo, of course, struggled with just the weird tendencies of that McLaren. And then a last uh, little piece on Aston here. I definitely didn't research them as much. I think there's just a lot less to say. But from what I've been hearing, 
There's no obvious red flags there either, but the overall pace just wasn't astounding. Um, you know, that could be legit, or maybe they have more to show as well. Maybe they were really sandbagging. It's always hard to tell. Either way, I definitely have a little bit less confidence in this team as I do, you know, the other uh, the other bigger teams, I guess you could say. Although, I'm not sure if Aston or McLaren is bigger. That's an interesting question. Either way, McLaren I have more confidence in, and then Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull I think definitely have the leg on Aston Martin. I think Mercedes is maybe the only team that might be out of the gates um, behind Aston Martin at worst. Um, but yeah, I, I'm concerned that Aston Martin might be struggling to develop with that massive jump they made over the winter last year. They still haven't really shown that they've been able to develop. We'll see um, at the beginning of this year if that you know is the case or not. Um, so this is a big season for Aston Martin if they want to continue on their trajectory toward the top though. The top though, um, yeah, this is their chance to prove they have to keep moving up. They can't stay stagnant in that fifth position. But what about the rest? Um, I think there's a bit of a gap here from Aston Martin to the next team. Um, RB, Alpine, Williams, Stake, and Haas. So let's take it one by one with these five teams. I'm going to have less to say about them as well, just because naturally they're the bottom five teams. But I'm breaking down each one. So don't worry if you're a fan of one of these teams. I got you. First of all, RB. I think they're leaving this bottom group. I think they're actually going to be in the Alpine role of last year where they're going to be kind of in no man's land in sixth place where they're going to be kind of sniping at the back end of the points quite often, but they're going to struggle to get like real good results. So yeah, I think they're probably going to have quite a bit, quite a big gap down to, you know, the seventh place teams and lower of course. Um, But I don't think they're going to be anywhere near really the Aston Martin or whoever is fifth in this uh in this constructors battle this year so that's kind of where i see rb everything looked pretty good from the test i think daniel and yuki are both gonna have really good years in that car i'm actually sort of excited for this team although i i also hate what this team is and i hate their stupid name um i know i've already abandoned the um my promise to call them Toro Rosso the whole year but it's just gonna cause confusing confusion so rb it is whatever I concede, but yeah, I think this team will actually be pretty good. Next, Alpine. This team's mockery. They're they're a joke. I mean, I always make fun of Alpine any chance I can, but at this point, I just kind of feel bad. I mean, their test was really bad. The kind of gossip around the paddock, at least what I've gathered. Of course, I'm not there or have never been there, um, but from what I've gathered is that some people think Alpine might have the worst car, which is crazy. It probably doesn't. It probably is still Haas. But the fact that that's even a consideration for a works team of this magnitude and of the stature they should have in Formula 1 is such a joke. They're still concerned about their engine. They did overhaul the car, and they think that maybe... Um, in a Mercedes type of way, like the developments will come along quick and they'll quickly, you know, move off the bottom. I could see that, but starting the year, you know, when they start the year in Bahrain and, and finish like 15th, 16th, like that's going to be super disappointing. They shouldn't be anywhere near the likes of Steak and Haas and even Williams really. So 
keep an eye out on Alpine, but I am not confident at all. And I'm pretty happy that I put RB ahead of Alpine in my prediction. Um, I said that Alpine's probably going to be the quicker team, but I don't think they're going to execute. I think they might just be outright slower, which is shocking for a team like Alpine. Williams. I think they disappointed themselves a little bit. Um, everything I've gathered again uh, on them is that the test didn't go all that well. They completely changed um, the characteristics of that car. So I would expect them not to be the slippery in a straight line car anymore. Um, probably more average in the straight line, but adding a lot of downforce to hopefully be more well-rounded. But if they didn't add enough pace and the other teams, you know, just got quicker around them, ultimately they're, they're going to fall back. I still think with Alex Albon on the car, they're going to score points just because he's that special. But I think performance wise, they actually may be taking a step back just, you know, against their peers. Um, I'm not actually super confident in their eighth position. And when I say they disappointed themselves, I mean, the talk from the launch was that they did a pretty good job with this car. And now the conversation around, well, even their own messaging seems to be, you know, measuring expectations. And uh, yeah, they also probably had the most reliability errors over the weekend as well that I can think of. Or I guess I could say it's a weekend. It was the week. But yeah, I'm not as confident with Williams as I am, or as I was, I should say. But I still think they're in a decent spot considering, you know, where Haas is. And uh, those teams are somewhat comparable in terms of investment. Williams, I think it's a little bit more from Doralton nowadays. But um, yeah, they're still a very small team and sort of punching above their weight. They're back in the mix as always, which is uh, which is great news. So, Stake. Yeah, probably the uh, the most boring team. But I think they have reason for optimism. I still think this driver lineup is too underwhelming, though. And ultimately, when it's really close in this, you know, bottom field, midfield, back marker, whatever you want to call this little group here, if it's that close, ultimately, the drivers make the difference. And I don't think these drivers are making any difference. But the test, I think, went pretty well for them. So, yeah, maybe I would make a change here. But we'll get to that in just a second because we have one more other team to mention, and that is Haas. And I think they had a very good test. You know, all things considered, they're expecting themselves to be 10th. But they scored the most or uh, raced the most laps out of anyone. And, you know, there are a lot of smiles from this team. Pretty much everyone in the team, including the drivers, were pretty happy with how the test went. And for a team expecting themselves to finish last or projecting themselves to finish last, to be smiling in this supposedly pretty slow car is kind of strange don't you think or maybe they're just holding out a bunch of hope or maybe they're just super happy that Gunther's finally gone I don't know I doubt it I'm sure they they liked Gunther but uh yeah maybe they found something and they're not too far off after all well no other exciting moments really from testing I think last year I covered a lot of little funny moments and storylines it felt a little bit more dull this year in, in, in terms of that stuff. But um, yeah, I'll keep it straight to or strictly to performance and I'll move on to uh, reviewing my preseason testing predictions and see if I would make a change to them. So just to quickly go over them again, the constructors, I had Haas 10, stake number nine, 
Williams, eighth, and then ahead of them, Alpine, who looked terrible. V-Carb was sixth ahead of Alpine, and then the top five teams, I had Aston, then Ferrari P4, Mercedes number three, McLaren number two, Red Bull number one. Now, based off of testing, would I, if I saw testing and then made my predictions, I probably would put Williams back down to nine and keeps and put stake at eight and maybe even put stake ahead of Williams as well, or, or, or Alpine rather. So I'd keep Haas at 10 and then, yeah, arguably even move stake up as far as to seven, maybe keep Williams at eight and then move Alpine nine or yeah, that, that, that group of three is tough and I think it might be pretty close. However, I think Alpine staying at seven is pretty fair. They should be better in the second half of the season. They just it just might look rough at the beginning. Um, however, V Carbon sixth, I love that. I think Aston fifth is perfect. Ferrari four, this I would change. This I would change. I think I'm actually, I would move McLaren down from two to four. I would, and then I would actually put Mercedes number two, Ferrari number three. I really think that Ferrari is going to be the, the second fastest car out of the gate. And I said that last week that I think they could be the second fastest out of the gate. But over the course of the season, I actually think Mercedes can pull it off this year and really develop the car and, and get somewhat closer. I think they actually will be the second fastest, not just execution wise. So, yes, uh, that's what I would do in hindsight. But my predictions are my predictions, and I'm keeping them the same, obviously. Now, as for the drivers, um, I'm not going to go through all of these uh, 20 drivers and, and fixing the positions is too much. Um, but any obvious moves, yes, I had Lando Norris second. I don't think that will be the case. I think more often or more likely than Norris is probably the three people I had behind him, which was Perez, then Hamilton, then Leclerc. I think probably one of those three all finish in second ahead of Norris. I think Norris might finish behind all of them, to be completely honest. As for other ones, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think Piastri 6th is also too ambitious. I think Sainz and Russell probably both finish ahead of Piastri. Alonso, that one might be tight just because of, uh, I think McLaren will be better than than Aston. I guess that that's really all I'll consider there. And then the other predictions I made were five drivers will win this year, five teams will be on the podium, and every driver will score a point. I do think every driver will score a point. Five drivers will win this year is probably probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be more like three and uh, maybe even four and five teams on the podium. That that I'm fine with. I think Aston Martin, I think Alonso will be on the podium at least once. And it might even be six, honestly. I, I wouldn't be surprised if V-Carb or even Alpine or someone has a crazy weekend. But I'll stick with the five. However, five drives will win this year. I would change. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Anyway, that is it for the testing and the predictions part of the episode. Now let's get into some fun Drive to Survive review. No spoilers, okay? Don't worry. I'm not going to spoil Drive to Survive for you. I realize that most people have a life and they haven't seen all 10 episodes already like I have. So this episode's already shaping up to be a long one. And by this episode, I mean this show, not, not the Netflix show. Um, so I'm not going to go too much into depth on the whole season or, 
or each episode of the season. I'm just going to share some of my thoughts, an overview of kind of what I think of the season and uh, get into some of the things they may have missed as well. So first of all, I had pretty low expectations. I love to have to survive, but I've come to realize the more hardcore fan I become, the more I sort of get annoyed with the actual racing clips in the show. Like I feel like, you know, when they're showing the actual driving on track during the show, like I can just go on my phone because I already remember everything that happened and they fabricate most of it anyway. Um, it's just so inaccurate at times. And, and I notice it more and more every single year, you know, moments on track that are just in the wrong context over dramatizing certain situations. And then the absolute worst one is the radio clips. Oh, the radio clips drive me insane. I mean, it, I think this was in the first episode. I think it was like Lance Stroll's radio. And they said, Russell is struggling before he even reached the first corner that would never ever be said you never say russell is like that was obviously over you know a long race stint and you know he was struggling with his tires that's when you would say russell is struggling because you're behind him and he's struggling with his tires you would not say that on the dash to the first corner that is insane so that was a really bad one some people pointed out that they used a, a uh, like a drone shot of the F2 grid in Silverstone to show like, you know, that they're as if they were F1 cars and they were not. Um, yeah, they're just some really bad ones. I think another one was Lando Norris. As soon as he took the lead in Silverstone, like he hadn't even reached the first corner and he was already going like, woohoo. Yeah, let's go baby. And it was like, that was probably a, a podium celebration. And they just Put it on the as if he's saying it as soon as he took the lead for Max. Like, no, he would have his head down and being like, Holy smokes, I got the, the world champion in my rear view mirrors. I got to defend for my life now. He's not celebrating. Um, so yeah, that stuff kind of drives me insane. But I understand what Drive to Survive is. And the reality is, there's some of that that's a little bit nonsense. But for the casual fan, it does the job. It's not like it's, you know, showing a super inaccurate version of the sport. It just kind of exaggerates it a little bit, whatever. Some of the behind the scenes footage though, that this show gets is so incredible. Uh, it's so unmatched. I, I love it. Like great scenes that you just wouldn't ever otherwise get a chance to see like Ricardo's Silverstone test when he did a pretty good job and then he earned himself that alpha tire seat and seeing christian horner like talk about daniel's time and then telling him that like he got the seat like that was so cool i mean maybe i'm spoiling that a little bit but that was a cool scene um so i, I thought that was great i won't talk about the other scenes that are in it okay i promise but yeah just like some hilarious candid moments with the drivers too i love that team members obviously as well but yeah i'm gonna do the opposite of a spoiler though okay I'm going to talk about the moments that Drive to Survive really missed. I, I wrote down a few here. Absolutely no Red Bull storylines. I was surprised with this, but also pretty fine with it. I think Perez was under a lot of pressure, though, last year. Max probably deserved some recognition for his achievements. But then again, if Max doesn't like Netflix, then maybe they feel less obliged to uh, acknowledge his achievements. But no no Paris storyline, you know, early on in the season when it looked like he might challenge for the title and then he kind of completely fell apart. 
I thought that would maybe be featured a little bit more. Um, my biggest gripe was easily the Singapore race. Um, I think they completely screwed the pooch here. I don't want to get too much into it, but I don't think they properly showed what really happened in that race, which is probably one of the races of the season. No really showing of Sainz's strategic masterclass. Um, yeah, I just, that was kind of the part really that I guess they screwed up the most to me. Um, they didn't really show how Mercedes was on the quicker tie or anything, but then again, that is a little bit more advanced Formula One stuff. So I get it, but man, like that was such a cool moment. I get that it's not a highlight show, but yeah, that was something I would have liked to see again just because it was such an awesome moment of the season, but it is what it is. And then lastly, this is not really a, an episode idea or a storyline idea. I just think there were so many storylines from the Qatar race. Um, like you think Maxwell in the championship there. Oscar won the sprint from pole. Uh, Lewis and George crashed into each other. The drivers were suffering from extreme heat. Lance Stroll like shoved his trainer. Like So many things that they could have showed there. I mean, like... They showed, sorry, I don't want to say what they showed, but um, like they didn't really show the downfall of Aston Martin. They, um, and that would have been kind of a perfect uh, uh, scene to kind of throw in there to show the frustration. Um, again, nothing from the Qatar race was in that show. So that is pretty surprising to me as well when there was just so much to offer from covering that race. But maybe Netflix wasn't even there. You never know. So, yeah, there's plenty of other good moments, too. I'm not going to go through them all, but I think those were some of the main ones. Overall, I thought this season was actually pretty decent. Um, I think I was a little bit more upset with the last couple seasons and some of the things that they left out, where I think for the most part, you know, my biggest gripe, them not, like, properly covering the racing on the track is a perfect example of why this season actually was good in my opinion, I guess, because all the off the track stuff I think was pretty good. A little bit too much Alpine for my taste. Um, but overall they covered a lot of what I would have wanted to see. So I think they did a pretty decent job for season six. I would still recommend the show. Um, and yeah, considering the lack of material they had to work with this year, again, I think they did a pretty good job. Well, we're getting to do a two-stopper at the beginning of the of the season already, guys. I mean, we still have a whole Bahrain Grand Prix to preview, so let's get into that. What a track the Bahrain International Circuit is. Perfect for a season opener. Does it have this incredible atmosphere? No, not really, but I do love this circuit. Great races there in 2022 and 2021 to start the year. Two good events in 2020 as well. One with the alternate layout, though. Um, still, I absolutely love the first sector in, at this track. I think it's lovely. Like that complex through turns one and two, and then uh, uh, it feeds right into a second DRS straight and, and a great run into turn four. So many great racing moments have happened there and it's not like Bahrain has been around that long I would say most notably would be the 2014 fight between Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton but also you know Perez spun around at turn four in 2020 um, 
yeah, I guess that was the alternate layout, but still was turn four. The first sector was pretty much the same. Um, he fell back to last and then won the race. You know, that sector also was where Max and, and Charles were going at it a couple of years ago too. Like, it's just a great area to to watch racing. Um, the rest of the track is also special though. Like, turn 10 is famous. The S's that go down the hill from, I guess that would be the beginning of sector two. I actually don't know where the sector line is, but right after turn four, those S's that go down the hill is awesome. And then, yeah, the famous turn 10 onto a, another DRS straight. And then we have two long corners, the left and then the right. It's just awesome to watch a car uh, go through those corners at full speed. It's just, yeah, it's a great track that creates fun racing. But apart from the learning that you get from, you know, seeing the pecking order and where the performance is going to be, that's kind of what makes an opening race exciting. However, 2023, you know, given that context was actually sort of underwhelming. Will that be the case in 2024? I'm not so sure. I think Red Bull is obviously the team to beat. Ferrari should be decent. After that, it's much more of a mystery. I'd expect Mercedes, McLaren, and Aston to be pretty close uh, this upcoming weekend. But I also think there's a team that I haven't mentioned that will be a bit of a dark horse. I'm hoping that 2024 Bahrain Grand Prix is going to be a little bit more exciting, but I think it could be a little bit kind of like last year, to be honest. But let's predict, shall we, for, for quality? I think Leclerc can actually pull it off and open the season on pole position, just edging Verstappen. I don't think it's going to be a, a landslide or anything or a dominant Leclerc pole, but um, yeah, I think he can edge Max to pole. However, on race day, I think Max is going to win by quite some margin. He's going to control the race, but Leclerc will take P2 and he'll be joined on the podium by his Ferrari teammate, Carlos Sainz. As for my bold prediction, I think both RBs are going to score points. Yeah. That's my dark horse right there. I think RB is going to be handy. I think probably Lance Stroll misses out on points. I wouldn't be surprised if the RBs battle with like Oscar Piastri around here. So if you think about it, both Red Bulls in there, both Ferraris, both Mercedes. And that's six right there. Lando and Fernando probably in there. That's eight. I think both RBs could be the next nine and 10. And that doesn't even take into consideration possible retirements. I think they easily could be 9 and 10. I guess we'll see, though. That's my bold prediction. Brad's bets. We're going straight into it. No segue. We're not doing a three-stopper. That's just too much. That's just too much. This this segment was pretty short anyway, right? So we're good. Just a reminder for everyone, Brad's bets is all FanDuel Canada odds. So if you're new to the show um, and you use a different betting app or maybe you're not even a sports betting and you don't understand American odds, I'm sorry, I'm not going to explain it to you. <laughs> You're just going to have to look it up. Uh, I, I sort of uh, sort of talk about it a little bit throughout my pick sometimes. But um, yeah, you know, if betting's not for you, then you can skip ahead. That's fine. It, it's not going to bother me. Um, this week, Leclerc on pole is plus 270. I really like that value. Of course, I'm predicting him to actually put the car on pole. But plus 270... That's incredible odds for probably the guy who's most likely to pip it from Verstappen. So I think it's worth putting a flyer on that for sure. I would take over 18 and a half classified cars as well. I think reliability is just bulletproof nowadays. And 
yeah, of course, crashes can always happen in, in Formula One, and that's why you're going to get good odds on this of uh, plus 120. So, yeah, it's still an underdog, but I think it could easily happen, and I think most of the drivers are going to want to finish uh, uh, in Bahrain. It's just that will McLaren have issues in Bahrain and retire again because they always seem to to do that. And that is the kind of the worry is is when it's the first race conditions for real, sometimes bad things happen. But I, I kind of like over to 18 and a half this year based off of what I saw in preseason testing. Over 10 second win margin, I really like this bet. I think Max is going to control the race. It's plus 185. That's that, Those are fantastic odds for what I think is going to be the most likely uh, win margin. It's usually under 5 seconds, between 5 and 10, or over 10. I'm hammering over 10, even if they're all even odds. So take that. Um, I think some safer picks, though. Sonoda points for minus 135. I would take him over Daniel and Bahrain if you're going to pick one of the RBs. And then a real safe pick, I think, is Lando top six for minus 195. It, it does worry me a little bit because I think it could be two Mercedes, two Ferraris, and two Red Bulls. However, Mercedes is a mystery. And you never know with, with Checo and, and, and Ferrari, like retirements can happen there pretty easily as well. So 195, don't love the odds, but I think Lando will be just fine. He's a great driver. So not a bad pick. And then for my long shot, I know I said 18 and a half classified, but one of the Alpines has to retire, right? I mean, if it's not going to be 50 penalties for Ocon, Gasly's engine will, will will light up or something. Something's going to happen to an Alpine at the first race. It always does. So plus 800 for them to be the first car to retire. Yeah, it's a long shot, but that's why that's why it's called a long shot, right? Because you're, you're really gambling on this one, and I just throw one out there for fun that I don't mind. So that is up to you if you want to take it. Now it's time for question of the week. Last episode's question was, what was my worst prediction of course that was my predictions episode i gave out basically what i think the standings is going to look like for the entire year of course i I sort of reviewed it on this episode already you can answer on youtube or spotify by the way for each week's question and the featured answer is from drs demon that's a cool name they answered on spotify and they say you're so dumb for saying ferrari p4 well that's nice thank you I, I know I said be nice, but come on, man. You can give it to me even better. Than, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think DRS Demon might be right here. Honestly, I, Ferrari P4 may have been a bit bold. I was going off of the, uh, the pole rod suspension issue. Um, I was a little bit concerned about that, but they seem to be flying along right now. But, you know, this is just preseason testing. We'll see if their preseason form is legit and if it can last all season. It's not all about... What the pecking order looks like in Bahrain. It's an entire season of Formula 1 racing. So things can change pretty quickly. Now as for this week's question. It's do you watch Drive to Survive? Why or why not? I would love to hear if reviewing Drive to Survive is something I should even continue doing on this show. But I, I love to hear if people are still watching it. Still liking the show. What they think of it. And all that. So yeah. Leave a comment on YouTube in the comment section. If you're a Spotify listener. Look below the description. So, yeah, if you leave an answer, your answer can be read on next week's episode. 
That will do it for episode 87 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I will be back next Monday to review the Bahrain Grand Prix. I can't believe it's already race week in 2024. I'm so excited. Goodbye.